Hi, it's Chris Watkin back again with one of the biggest names in the estate agency industry, Glynis Frew, who used to be the CEO of Hunters uh, before uh, they sold to the property franchise group, which is Martin & Co. Um, Glynis, thank you for joining me today. Wow, thank you for inviting me. Oh, honestly, the, the pleasure is all mine. I would like to talk to you about your journey in a state agency, the ups and the downs, the trials and tribulations uh, from uh, starting, a, you know, coming on board with Hunters in the early days to growing up to being one of the biggest standalone estate agency brands in the UK. You know, I'm, honestly, the number, I've looked at the numbers nationally, you are big in the game. Um, to a point where you, you decided to then to sell and but still be involved after this at sale to Property Franchise Group as Training Development uh, Director for the Property Franchise Group, which is mm. Martin and & Co. And, mm. and, and all their subsidiary brands. So what I want to do is go back in time and, you know, when you grew up, when you were delivering milk as a child, because I know you said in the car that's what you did, yeah. uh, I, I had to wash up pots <laughs> at the family butchers, but did you, did you crave wanting to be an estate agent? No, I don't think I did. I don't think anybody craves to be an estate agent. I think it's just one of those things that you you go into. When I first started work, I started work in 1979. Obviously as a child. As a child, yes. Um, and I worked for United Biscuits and I worked on their uh, food division. And their... Did, you, did you go straight from school or did you go to university? No, I went to university. What course did you do? I did uh, politics and history. Oh, interesting. Uh, yes, at Manchester. Okay. Yeah. What made you want to read those? Well, because at one stage, I think I probably thought I would be a good politician. Okay. Kind of runs in the family, though, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know if anyone knows, but Glynis and Kevin Hollingbrake are brother and sister. I only just found that out today. I didn't know that. There yeah. you go. Yeah. So he should have gone on the course, really. He should. He should, <laughs> yes. But anyway, once I'd finished the study and I thought, oh, no, no, I'd rather do something practical. And in fairness, you know, I needed money. I'd got no money. So that's how I ended up in sales because I didn't, I didn't dream from being a you know a child delivering milk that I would be a salesperson either. So I ended up in sales. So who did you go and work for initially out of university? Then? Um, it was United Biscuits, but it was the food division. So it's KP Foods. So it was KP Nuts, which then their advert was the Lovable Nut, and there was KP Crisps. I loved crisps. So I think, as you can tell, I'm a bit of a connoisseur myself. <laughs> So what were you doing? Were you going at the, as a graduate, almost in the, in the, uh, as a sales role, you know, going out, you know, selling to supermarkets and things like that? Is that what you, your job was? Yes. Or? So, um, yes, I sold to supermarkets. I was given a territory up in Middlesbrough. And I'd, most of my life I'd lived in York or just outside York. Okay. I had no idea where I was going. I couldn't read a map. But that's how I found, you know, the uh, the beauty of asking questions. And so I used to, uh, you know, I got quite friendly with people and I got to one shop and then they'd tell me how to get to another. And that's how it all started. And you make a lot of mistakes when you first when you're first in sales. Um, did you enjoy it? I did, actually. It taught me a lot. What else did it teach you? Um, it taught me about the techniques of selling, but it taught me an awful lot about people more than anything else. And I loved it. What lessons, what important lessons about people have you learned that have really stood you well over the, you know, over the time? 
I think the biggest one is don't make assumptions. Okay. I mean, I've got I've got so many different stories that I could tell about different assumptions that I made. Go on, regale us with one. Well, um, I'd I'd progressed a bit, and I was I was a trainer, and I was training this person in the car. Um, you know, to go how to be how, how to be to, how to be a salesperson, yes. And so, and I've got to say, she was getting on my nerves a bit because she wasn't sort of getting on with it the way that I wanted her to get on with it to close the deal and get the sale. So I said to her, "Look, I'm going to go into this call now. I, I think I know this. You know, I've met him once before, um, and I'm going to show you how to give something away but get something back." So I go into the call. And, um, you know, everything's going swimmingly well. And then I've said to him, and so as part of the deal, you know, I'd like to ask for this, but I want to give you this, which is a recipe book um, for you or your wife. Now, I would never, under normal circumstances, have said that. And as soon as I said your wife, I thought, I haven't seen his wedding ring. And he said, love, my wife left me 12 years ago and ran away with my best friend. If you think I'm phoning her up now to give her a bloody calendar, I'm not. <laughs> and so, you know, that was the assumption that he was married. That was, you know, it was all those different kinds of things. And the assumption that uh, when I was training this particular person, that actually I knew considerably better and more than she did. And I thought that taught me a lesson and it served me right. Throughout your time, you've been a trainer. What, you know, one of the paths you could have been, is just gone up the sales ladder. What made you want to go more into training salespeople? Um, well, when I started with United Biscuits and then I went to Pepsi, don't get me wrong, I really enjoyed that career. And I did work my way up. But the problem with it was that I'd do a job for two years and then I'd look round and think, well, I'm fed up with that now. So what am I going to do now? And I was lucky because every two years or two and a half years, my job did change in both organisations. Um, but nothing at that point held my attention and was as big a challenge as training was. Because training is... You know, 90% of what you learn, you learn on the job. But that other 10% that somebody gives you those skills or that phrase or spends time with you, that makes all the difference to an individual in the career. So you, what you're saying is you could have gone up the ladder, but it was, you were getting bored of it. I mean, there's, there's, you know, there's valuers watching this who look at the ladder, which is, you know, area manager, but, you know, divisional director and all yeah. the way up. That doesn't have to be the only path. That oh, definitely not. But if you think about it, you ended up in a roundabout way, you know, running Hunters, which is an absolutely massive network of, mm. of you know, over 100 branches. You did that by taking a sideways step yeah. into training, went up that way and moved, moved back. So that's just a, a thoughtful lesson. Yeah. Um, late 80s, you then moved companies to PepsiCo yes. in their Walker's Chris. What made you, what made you do that? Um, well, I think I got a bit fed up with the boss that I was working for, okay. as most people do when they start to move elsewhere. And also, you know, my, my ego was flattered because somebody asked me, would I go and join them? Whereabouts were they based? And they, well, it wasn't very far from where I was already so, so they were based in um, just outside Reading 
Oh, so did you move down by so this time? I moved down London. What, what made you move down to London then? Um, well, I got divorced from my first husband. Okay, sorry to hear that. And, um, and I just thought, okay, we're just going to have to have a, a change here. So that was when I was still with United Biscuits, and I thought I'm going to make a new life for myself. I didn't know anybody. I ended up buying a property that actually needed everything, rewiring, heating, ev new windows, everything. This I is in Reading? This is in Windsor, actually. Oh, very nice. And I don't know what possessed me to do it, because I didn't know a thing about it. I didn't know okay. anybody. How old are you at this point? I would be about 30. Okay. But good good salesperson, good trainer. Yeah. And I thought, this is going to be my thing. Good I stuff. Am gonna, this is my adventure. So I'm going to... And what year did you move down to Windsor? Um, I would, Just after the divorce? Yeah. Okay. But then in 89, you then moved across to PepsiCo? Yes. What, what so, made you make the move there then? I think it was all part of my adventure... You know, sort of down south, I was quite settled. I loved it. I loved it down there. You were young, free and single. Young, free and single. And I just thought, you know, I'm going to go for this. Did they approach challenge. you then? Yeah, they did. That must have been quite flattering yes, for you. Yes, it was actually. And uh, my, yeah, my husband always says, you know, that uh, often I let the ego, my ego get the better of me. And, and it was quite flattering. And so I, I went for it. And I really enjoyed it. It was very... It was often quite tough working for an American company, but I loved it because they always had a can-do attitude. It wasn't, yeah, I'm a, you know, we all know there's all these problems, but what can we do about it? What are we going to do about Did it? Did you learn from that? Yeah. Yeah, lots, and I loved it. Yeah. Okay. So we were in the early 90s. Yes. You met your husband. So, yes, I now I've met my second husband. Yeah. yeah. And we try and we do IVF. And the company were very good. Pepsi were very good and said, you know, if you want time off and all that kind of thing. I don't do that very well, though. Um, and Are you a workaholic? Yeah, I am a bit. How do you balance that by being a mum? Because I know you eventually ended up adopting some, kids, yes. some children, didn't you? Yeah, we did. We did. Um, well, something's got to give. Um, but often I would be up, I don't mind getting up early. What do you call early? I can get up at like four in the morning, five okay. in the morning. That's a milk round, you see, when we have the milk round. There you go then. There you go. Um, yeah, so I decided I'd loved training and I'd done a lot with training. And, um, and I thought, you know what, there's a real gap in the market here for really good trainers that can get to the basics, understand the individual, because often in training as well, you know, it's, um, you know, what you say matters, but what I can say might be different to what you say. So it's getting to understand people. People are the start of everything, of course. So, so you adopted a couple of kids in the, in the mid-90s? Uh, uh, yes, we did. Uh, 1998, it would be. We were living in Poland then. Okay, still working for PepsiCo. No, then I was running my own business. You were training in Poland? Yeah. yeah, so I was living in Poland. Is your husband Polish then? No, he'd got a job running, a, um, he was the MD of a big chocolate factory business in Poland. So we ended up moving from Windsor okay. over to Poland. Okay, because they, they were not in the EU at this point, were they? No, 
No, it was and too... Matt was watching history happen, I'll tell you. You just have to go and take cash to the post office to pay your electric bill and your water bill and, you know, all that kind of thing. And supermarkets were in Warsaw, I think there were two supermarkets because the rest were just small independent shops. So we didn't know any Polish. Um, that was a real experience. Um, and then we were lucky enough to adopt whilst we were in Poland. Okay. Were you training Polish firms then at the time? I was training Polish firms. I was going over to Russia, South Africa. So Jet didn't have to in South Africa because they spoke English. But if I went over to Russia, I had an interpreter. And the interpreter in Russia was the same interpreter that Gorbachev used to have. So that was interesting. If I was working in, you know, Poland, I'd work through interpreters. So I just used to... How did you, how did you get business in a foreign country, even if you couldn't speak the language? Well, because I, I'd worked, obviously, in United Biscuits, I'd worked in Pepsi, and I'd built up a big network. And you don't really realise how big your network is until you start mm. saying, actually... Yeah, I'll give them a ring. And so that's how a lot of it started. So I ended up working for some real blue chip companies. Still in food or everything? Uh, Johnson & Johnson. So a lot okay. in food, but Johnson & Johnson, because people that I'd worked with at Pepsi went over, okay. you know. And, and, and so their colleagues in Poland or South Africa or Russia needed the same train that you were given, yep. Maisie or whatever her name in Reading or, or well, Middlesbrough. Well, that's right. Yeah, that's right. And so I would write programs that were bespoke to that business okay. or even bespoke to that team. So, yeah, it was, it was good. I enjoyed it. You mentioned a few minutes ago about uh, keeping your ego in check. That's something mm -hmm. that I, I still, every once in a while, have trouble. It's, the, it's that you, you need a certain amount of drive and belief in yourself. But how do you tame... How do you tame the, the confidence, keeping confident yet not letting the ego get ahead of yourself? How do you, how do you deal with that? Do you know, that's such a good question. Um, I, I always, I've had a, a good career, but with, throughout that career, I've had phases where I've thought, oh my God, that is a bit of a problem. And so I, I am conscious of, well, don't think it's just easy all the time, because it isn't going to be just easy all the time. You know, you're gonna, it's going to go good, and then, you know, you've, uh, you know you, you're going to have a bit of a fall, um, or a bit of a problem, not, you know, sometimes yeah. it's a fall, sometimes it's just a problem. So I think life's experience has taught me that. Um, and I do try to really think through the kinds of things that I do before I do it. But will my ego from time to time still get the better of me now? Probably. You know, I try to make sure I don't, but... My wife certainly helps me. Mm. I get a lot of smoke blown up my backside mm. for, for what I do in the industry. And you'll soon come back and it's, don't think you're that good. Get Fill that dishwasher and <laughs> no, go and forget I know, the dog food. I know. Yeah, that's right, yeah. yeah. Ha, ha, you know... My husband said that to me once. He said, yeah, well, that's really good, but do you mind leaving your crown outside? Because, <laughs> you know, we've got a lot do to do. Do you think your, husband's, your second husband's been very useful in that, the, keeping you hungry and humble? Yes. Because that's, that's the thing, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, the best estate agents I ever meet, they ha they're, it's, they're hungry yet humble. Yeah. It's a fine line. Yeah. No, definitely, I think he has, because he's got such a good sense of humour. 
Um, and we've always had the, you know, the sort of uh, relationship where you say what you think. So, you know, he, he would take the mickey out of me if he thought for one minute that I was getting a little Sometimes bit... Sometimes just a little. Yeah. yeah. OK, so you ended up back... Uh, in York in 1999, is that right? Yes. Why, why, so did you, why did you move back to York? Well, by that time, we'd adopted our two children. Um, so our daughter was 18 months and our son was four. Um, and I think that, you know, it's quite a tough thing to do. Um, and you need a bit of support. So the family were obviously all around. So the family were all around. Did you still have your mum and dad at this time? Yeah. So, yeah, it's ideal, isn't it? Yeah. So we moved back to, um, to the York area. So we were in a little village called Crake, which was absolutely amazing to bring children up in. Um, and both my parents helped such a lot, uh, as the rest of the family, you know, yeah. brothers and, and sister and everything. But I think it's when, you, when your parents do come into their own, don't they? Especially when you start to get children because they've seen it all and all that kind of thing. So that's how it started. And talking about your ego getting the better of you, see, I had imagined that once I got children, because we'd spent such a long time waiting for children or trying to have children, I thought, that's it, I'll be a stay-at-home mother. I'm going to go to the nursery. I'm going to, you know, be part of the... Um, committees and all that kind of thing. It didn't really last all that long before I thought, oh, I could do with something else here. You're getting bored? Yeah, I was actually. Um, and that, I know, <laughs> I know. And, and that... Where does that was, come from, your mum or your dad? I think probably my mother. Okay. I think my mother um, was the same. Um, and she stayed at home for quite a while, but then she took up a, a job at the same time when I started in, in 79, actually, and that became a very big job. Um, so I was really grateful that what I could do is I could put some of those skills that I'd learned mm -hmm. in HR and training and just do them, you know, a bit part-time for Hunters, the estate agent. That's how it all started. Because Kevin Hollinrake... I only just found out today, your brother. So asked yeah. your sister, because obviously he trusts you, to come in yeah. and do a bit of HR and a bit of training. Yeah, that's how it all started. Um, did you love it to start with? I did. I'll tell you, I did think when I first came, went into it, gosh, this is very male-orientated, this industry. Yeah, it is. Um, and I wasn't actually used to that. When I'd started in United mm. Biscuits in 79, that was very male-orientated. But over the years, that had mm. changed. You know, if you got every single estate agent in, like, Wembley, I'd say 80% of them would be, be women because it's your necks and your property yeah. managers. But it's almost like the men seem to be at the top. Yeah. I mean, we're going to do a separate video about that. I know you have some very strong views on that, which I know the boy, you boys and girls in estate agency land, I think you'll love it. Um, but more of that later. Right. Um, so you started doing some training. Well, just before we, we go on and talk about that, what did you learn? What was the biggest thing your father taught you? My father? Oh, my father um, was an amazing person. He was very humble, um, but very great. And the biggest thing that he taught me was integrity. You've got to have integrity and you've got to do right by other people as well as by yourself. Um, so drive from your mother humbleness from your father's 
hungry yet humble. Yeah. Couldn't have asked for a better upbringing, could no. you? No, definitely okay. not. No. So, first few years with Hunters went really well. Mm. What yeah. then happened? So, as the children started to go to school more, I took on more and more responsibility. And then I went into where, which at first, you know, was covering HR and training, which I couldn't, you know, I knew very, very well. Although you're still learning, because obviously you've got to tailor that to that situation and that team and that market. Um, but then I started to get into other areas which I didn't, I didn't know anything about. Um, and so it was a big learning curve. You know, I'd never done new homes. What did that mean? You know, all those kinds of things. And as the children got older, I took more and more responsibility to the point where, you know, basically I was the, you know, operations director, really. So Kevin is very clever. He was very strategic. He would think about the strategies. Big picture. Big picture. I would. Your tactics. Yeah. So you got involved. You got some equity in the business and you were, you were, I mean, how did you get through the, the credit crunch? That was, they were pretty bad times for a lot of firms. Yeah, I would say that was probably the most frightening and the lowest point because by that time, uh, you know, yeah, we were, we were all shareholders, but you know, it's no secret we could have gone bust at any time. It was, you know, really hard. That's when I, um, um, my favorite song is One Moment in Time. And I used to play that on a morning when I was going into work and I'd play it coming out and I'd have lots of gin and cigarettes when I got home um, because, yeah, we nearly, you know, all of us nearly lost everything. We had to put charges on our homes and everything. And it was sheer hard work and determination from everybody that got us through that. You know, yes, the board, but the senior people, the negs, a lot of those people are still working at Hunters today. And without them... We couldn't have done it. So at this time, you know, you, Hunters were predominantly a franchise, but you also had your owned ones as well. So that's probably why, thing, you know, you were having to pay people's wages and no money's coming in. Oh, yeah, definitely. And we had our own department. So we had an overseas department that was ours. We had, um, you know, we had um, the new homes, all the survey, you know, all commercial, all those departments during that time. And of course, if your franchisees are not earning money, you're not earning money. No. So basically, you put your necks on the line so you could pay people's wages. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Scary times. It was really scary. What did you learn? Um, again, I learned something that probably I'd learned before, but, you know, you've got to work to get through it. The okay. only time that success comes before works in the dictionary. So you have to work to get through it. But the other thing that I learned was you've got to keep calm as well, um, because it would have been easy not to be calm, either to yourself or to other people. How did you learn that? How did I learn that? Yeah, because calmness doesn't, doesn't live at the bottom of a bottle of gin, does it? No, no, it doesn't. It does help, though, but... It does, yeah. Well, like, exactly, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, that, I suppose that was the release when I'd got home, you know, okay. oh, give me a gin, get me a gin. Um, but you learn that you have to be like that because... You, I could tell when I was talking to other people that they were frightened. No point in, you know, they, they look to you to give them the, the calm, the security. You know, yeah, it's going to be tough, but we're going to get through this. How do you say that if, in, if there's a child inside you saying, 
I don't know if we're going to do this, or do you just have to put that facade on saying, that's what, is that what being a leader is? Well, I think it is that. I think it is, you've got to filter quite a lot before you, you know, before you talk to people. And I think it's those leaders that don't filter enough that create a bit of uncertainty uh, for themselves more, you sure. know. Um, so I do think you've got to filter a lot. At the same time, though, I think there has to be a level of honesty. So I do remember, you know, some conversations where someone had said, but are you sure we're going to get through it? Well, actually, no, I'm not. I'm not sure because I can't be sure. But equally, I'm not sure I'm going to be alive this time next no. year because I don't know that either. But it won't be for the want of trying. That's the thing. You've got to keep at it. It's all about optimism, isn't it? Yeah. Optimism. Yeah. Interesting. Right, OK, so you got through that. And in 2015... Hunters floated. Well, we did. I mean, our big breakthrough for franchising came in 2011 when we took over the Burstow East franchise. Mm. So that really sort of set us on the map. So how many offices by then did you were, were you when you when you'd taken on Burstows? Um, well, that was that was um, uh, about 80. Mm. So it really did take take us you know, different trajectory altogether. And we've just come through that crisis, of course. And then, you know, there's um, now, OK, well, we're going to have to relook at the way we do everything, you know, and all that kind of thing. Because um, 2015, by which time Belvoir had already floated. Yeah. Uh, Martin & Co., I know they changed their name to the Property Franchise Group. Yeah. It was kind of the done thing, wasn't it? It was the done thing. Um, it was, and I have to say, for anyone that's thinking of floating, it's an amazing amount of work. It is phenomenal. Um, and, but that was what, you know, we wanted to do. That was how we saw our path going forward. Uh, and more or less at that time as well, Kevin decided, well, I'm definitely going to be an MP. It was something he'd always wanted to do. Um, and... So, you know... Because for the last five or six years, you've been kind of been running the show anyway, haven't you? Yeah, well, that's it, really. So, so it, it, I mean, Kevin always kept a, you know, good eye on things. He was always... He understands estate agents. He understands the property market. So I always knew that if I'd got a problem, I could always go and say, well, what shall I do about that? Um, so then, yeah, then I was in charge. And... You know, that's the counter to the ego getting the better of you. I did go through a phase where I was thinking, I don't know if I can do this. So you were suffering from imposter syndrome? Oh, definitely. Was this... So when did you actually get made top dog? Pardon the pun. Was it around 11, 12? Uh, no. No, I just did it then. And Kevin was still MD and he was still in charge. But he... Basically, he, he was trying to be an MP. No, he wasn't... Yeah. He hadn't declared it, but he was moving and shaking. Because I'm... He was. I'm assuming you've got a... Uh, how can we say, put the foundation work in. Yeah, okay. that's right. So you were running the show, you, yeah. you floated the business along with your colleagues. So then it was more or less at the point of the float. That, Is that, that when you I got imposter? Became, that I became in charge fully because Kevin... He was playing Westminster yeah. politics. And so, yeah, that's when I thought... When did, when did the imposter syndrome hit? Just about at that point. Okay. Um, Is that I'm, because you were put on a pedestal and you were a part of the city? Well, probably, 
Yeah, uh, it was that, and you realise, you suddenly look round and think, oh my God, you know, you're responsible for all these people. But you were responsible for them before? Well, I know, I, yes, I know. Okay. I know, I know. I mean, um, but but I, I suppose, I hadn't hidden behind okay. Kevin exactly, but he'd always been there, and... A bit like a, 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 a you know, armbands. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I've spoken... That, uh, in at great length to Ian Wilson, who used to be boss man of Martin and Co., uh, the guys at Belvoir, and they and and also others who have floated. And they say an awful lot of time and effort spent talking to the people in the city. Did mm. you enjoy that? Um, it was my least favourite thing, actually. Okay then. It was my least favourite. What I really enjoyed, and I f I thought it was an absolute privilege, you know, sort of running Hunters and seeing the growth over those five or six years when I was totally in charge. Um, did you do anything different be without Kevin there? Or did you just carry on? It was just almost like a safety blanket. In reality, you didn't actually need him. Of course you need him. We all need, but you know. I yeah. Mean. Uh, no, I don't, think, I don't think I did. I think once I'd got over the imposter syndrome, I thought, actually, this is quite good. Because this now says you, you're either going to make it or you're not. How did so you get, get over it? Um, well, I think it was mainly all of my colleagues, especially the other people on the board, because I eventually went to them and said, listen, I'm not so sure I can do this. And they were like, yes, you can. Yes, you can. And, so, and they were all men. That must have been a difficult thing to say. Did you say yeah. in open forum or not one-to-one? -one? Um, a bit both. That's quite bit. scary. I mean, uh, yeah. uh, brave. Well, it was true, though. It was true. I did so, think that. So they slapped you down, told you to stop, be, stop being a silly cow and get on with it because you're fucking good at your job. Yeah, basically, part, that's what part, they said. I hope you don't mind me being as blunt as that. <laughs> <laughs> that's basically what they said. So I did. And then I thought, actually, I, quite, I, quite, I enjoy this. Yeah. I like this. Um, and, you know, we had and still have, of course, some amazing people um, where you've got problems day to day or you've got opportunities and you think, you know, it's those people and that plan that takes that from being an opportunity to being reality. So, you know, we were all very proud of, of what we'd achieved. But then back in 2021, you were floating uh, your own ship Mm. A decent-sized ship, mm. you know, you could look front Martin & Co. or Property Franchise Group in the eye and, yeah. okay, and you could look Dorian in the eye. Yeah. <laughs> um, what made you decide to sell your shares and, and become part of the Property Franchise Group? Because, you know, you were, yeah. you were big in the game. Yeah, I know. I know, that's right. Well, I think we'd always planned that that's what we were going to do. Um, and of course, I'm 65, uh, and so you can't go on forever. So there would have been a lot of disruption for a lot of people anyway. So obviously Kevin was playing politics. Yeah. You were, you were in your mid-60s, but mm -hmm. again, you know, you don't want to be working 12-hour days I say humbly nicely forever, do you? No, no, that's right. And so the opportunity came up, and so we just thought, well, it seems that that's the right thing to do. Because running a franchise is not like running a corporate. It's very similar, but it's not 
the same. Because you can't tell people what to do. It's no. their businesses as well. It is. And you've got to be very mindful of the fact it is their business and you are dealing with entrepreneurs. And, you know, so then it just seemed the right time. Decent people. I mean, Gareth, Gareth runs a good ship. Yeah. Um, yeah. I can see why you guys go into bed with them. Mm. Decent people. Yeah. So what's it been like now? You, you took after that, you decided not to be responsible for the Martin Co. section because Property Franchise Group has different directors for different strands. You've decided to become the training development director for the whole group. Yes. Going back to your roots. Going back to my roots. I know, well, that's right. I mean, I've always been very passionate about training and I can still, you know, sort of remember now the first training courses that I went on. I was very lucky in United Biscuits and in Pepsi mm. to have some really good training. And, and I believe that that's really important for people. I mean, if you think about it, you started in, you, you evolved into training from sales. Yeah. You then went to become head of sales, basically running the show in a state agency, but mm. now you've come back full circle, yeah. back to your love, which is training and development. Yeah, yeah. And I think a lot of my, a lot of my work when I was a CEO as well was about developing people into the next roles, you know, uh, and all that kind of thing. And but I I really love training and development. I think it's so important. Now I know you're part of the home buying and selling group, which is a um, a voluntary organisation put together with Kate Faulkner in the at the mm. front and about 100 150 people in the industry trying mm. to um, make the house selling buying and selling process quicker and easier and simpler using yeah. technology and, and other things. And I go we're going to do a separate video on that. Is that where your passion is at the moment? being the training and development person, but also trying to change the industry by that being part of the group? Yes, it is. <clears throat> um, and I, you know, I try to focus on those two things. Um, I think that, and going back to the facts, you know, when we're saying just before about, you know, most of estate agents are individual entrepreneurs, mm. you know, they cannot cope, a business cannot cope with how long it's taking now mm. to go from offer to, to completion. I think it, the average is 19 weeks. I mean, when I were a lad, it was 12 weeks, and that was considered a long time. I know, exactly. Um, so, so businesses, you know, small businesses make the world go around, as you and I know. Um, and small businesses can't cope with that, but also neither, neither can the customer, you know. I mean, you listen to some and you can understand why some get really annoyed. And, of course, it's usually the estate agent's fault. And if it's not, well, it must be the conveyancer. Um, but definitely, we have got to do something for all stakeholders in the industry, you know, to, to sort this out. Well, we're going to talk about that in a separate video. OK. Um... Thank you for your time today, Glenis. It's been absolutely inspirational, and I hope you boys and girls in the state agency around have learned a lot from it. We're going to do some standalone videos now, talking about how uh, women, especially part-time women, can be successful estate agents whilst being running a, a household. Um, and we're going to talk about the home buying and selling group on how to get the, the time down from sale agreed uh, to exchange much quicker, and some other interesting topics. Uh, but we'll, we'll put those on the YouTube channel. You can have a look at those. Thank you for your time today. You've been Thanks. inspirational. No, thank you very much. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. Thank you.